Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Doing that, I was face to face with it. It was holding me by my throat. And it felt like it was sucking something out of me. I probably should have been more scared than I was when I witnessed the exorcism. I turned and looked on my right side. When I did, there's there's a beam on the side of the tree, a large beam. It's looking at me and I'm looking at it. After I hit the lock button and looked back up, I saw red eyes staring back at me. That they're going to show multiple gods all over the earth, to be able to speak in people's languages. And at that point, it kind of converged into this one entity, which will be revealed as extraterrestrial. You'll realize that aliens are the gods of old. And at that point, it'll wipe religion out of the context of humanity. No, it couldn't have been a person. I know that. I know that people can't run through the woods like that. So this thing comes into view, and I see it. It's 50 yards away from me. It's walking. It's walking on two legs. It's huge. This is a big, hairy-looking being. Welcome. I'm your host. And this is uncomfortable. Welcome back to the show, my friends. I am your host, Eric Salagi. If you've had an uncomfortable experience and you'd like to have it featured on an upcoming episode, please don't hesitate to email me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com. Please make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, both at Uncomfortable Podcast 65. And most importantly, please help share the show with others and make sure to leave us a five-star rating and review where you can. That is the main way you can help in getting this show out in front of more people and with more people listening that means more great stories coming to you like tonight I'm going to forego all of the rest of the stuff you've heard it a million times tonight's guest is Jason I'm going to bring him on here in a second I'm going to give you a little bit of a heads up uh, maybe a warning if uh, if that's appropriate, um, there's going to be some, some things that are talked about in this episode that uh, are not for the faint of heart. I hate the term trigger, um, but there are some things that uh, we're probably going to include drug use. Um, he is an EMT. And there are some stories that, uh, some, some very bad things that have happened. Um, and ultimately we're going to get to some of the unusual, weird 
things that have happened to him as a result of being around this kind of stuff uh, a good portion of his life. So, if you will, please give a warm, uncomfortable welcome to Jason. Jason, welcome to the show, my friend. Hi. <laughs> I'm hi. sorry. Um, hi, man. So, yeah, it's me. It's Jason. Jason, you're also known in our uh, Discord as uh, Zero Zero, correct? Yes, I like to creep around there. I generally don't talk too much. And it, it's got a very odd spelling. It, so, yeah, it's an anagram for double zero, just zero forward and zero backwards. Uh, it's a little social experiment I'm doing across multiple platforms to see how many people know this, the same username everywhere and see if it's the same person. Interesting. Just for just for shits and giggles? or I was bored one day and tried it out. That was really it. That's how half the things work, I guess. All right. So I alluded to some pretty heavy stuff in the intro. Yeah, some of the things. Um, I wanted to talk about, well, what it's been like uh, living with a negative attachment for the majority of my life. And then I want to get into how, well, how different it is now. I basically have to relearn my life without of all that horrendous stuff that was following me around and what it was doing to me. It's, it's been a heck of a journey, man. You look like a relatively young man. And thank you. That, that seems to be an awful lot to have gone through in a, in a short life. Yeah, I, I suppose it is. Um, the further we get in, you, you can be the judge for that. I've, I mean, it's only my, it's the only life I've got. So it was normal for a very long time till I realized how much that's not supposed to be normal. So let's, uh, let's get into, let's get into your attachment. Yeah, we'll start there. And, and how, how it came about if you're, if you're aware. Um, okay. I am to a sense. So it started to, to talk about that. We got to go way, way back to my childhood. Um, I was kind of the prime candidate for this thing. Uh, I grew up in a very rough household. Um, I, I was abused. I was neglected, not in an extreme sense of the way I wasn't beaten every day. My father wasn't too drunk. He, He's probably one of the hardest working people I know, but he was never home. Same with my mother. They worked ungodly amount of hours just to keep a roof over our head. But because of that, I was pretty much left alone a lot of times. And then when they were home, it was so busy, so many other things to do. I was just in the background. Yeah. And, you know, as an adult, that's like, well, your parents got to, adults got to work. That's the way it is. But as a, you know, six, seven year old kid, that's, that's devastating. You need attention. Yeah. Yeah. And you, I didn't have to, it. You need to be recognized and made to feel that you are, you're valid and you're, you're a, you're a part of the family. Yeah. And it wasn't, you know, and, li- you know, there are other things now I look back probably like made a difference. 
uh, weird little thing. I never had my own room. I was always moved to the hallways of wherever we lived to save space for everybody else. So that's a, a big large, thing a, as a kid. A large family then, I assume? Uh, not large. It's me and two brothers and then a grandmother and my parents. That was it. But, you know, we never had the biggest house. So, yeah, it was it was very weird. And like I said, for a kid, that that's where a lot of this starts. And my parents had a thing for collecting just spooky, haunted, crazy things without even knowing it, which we'll talk about that. Really? Yeah. Uh, two of them I'll tell you about. One of them is a phone booth we picked up from an antique dealer we knew. Um, it was just kind of my father's business. He also knew all the antique dealers in town. And they would give him stuff in payment all the time. One of them is a phone booth from the 1920s. Uh, it was here in town where I live. And two people, at least, have killed themselves in it. And we just, it was just in the back porch, hanging out. So this uh, is a full full size phone booth. Like <clears throat> you can open the door wood, and step into it. Yeah, uh, wooden had the doors, had the seat, everything. Really? Yeah, and uh, I've never seen anyone sit in there longer than two minutes. Uh, you you get nauseous. The lights will randomly turn on. We had to unplug the phone because that thing kept ringing at all hours, and I'm sure as hell not going to answer it. <laughs> No kid, and it wasn't connected. Uh, the lights were we left the lights connected, but you still had a switch you had to manually activate to turn the lights on. But I mean, as far as the ringing of the phone, uh, no, it wasn't hooked, it was it had power to it, but it wasn't hooked to a phone line. So, weird. yeah, that, that was weird. And then the other one, which is a little more intense, um, it was a painting given to us by a family friend. Um, he did a commission of Pancho Villa and before the lady that commissioned him to finish it, uh, before he finished, she passed away. So he put her picture in it. So in the, in the little corner, there's a painting of her over this, the creepiest picture of Pancho Villa anyone's ever done. <laughs> My suspicion, uh, just how the rest of the story goes is she used it, to trap an entity in it. That's my guess. And she, in turn, when he did that to her, she got trapped in it as well. Um, and there's two things that still wander around my parents' house since we've had that painting, a little old lady, and something that is incredibly unpleasant. I don't really have a word for it. It's just tall and gray and mean as hell sometimes. When the night that they moved it into the house... Um, I was with my two brothers. I was eight ish. Um, they left, they went out, they had stuff to do. So I was there alone and the, every door in the house started banging, opening and closing. The lights were flickering on and off. And this was well before cell phones. So I couldn't get a hold of them. Uh, and I, I vaguely remember screaming and shouting. So I grabbed my two brothers. I picked them up. No, I'm sorry. One brother. One wasn't there yet. I picked up my brother. He was a baby. And I ran a mile and a half about 
to my uncle's house. Full speed. Didn't even stop. I didn't even have shoes on. I just ran. And uh, I stayed there until my parents showed up back home. Then they went to his house to look for me. Um, We went back and I wouldn't go in the house until my uncle, who was one of the baddest people I have ever known in my life. uh, He went in there and he mad dogged this painting and just willed whatever scary thing was in there to go back in there and stay in there for the rest of eternity. I have no other way to describe that, but I've never seen somebody give such a hard stare to an inanimate object. And it did for the most part. It never, we never had an incident after that. And I had forgot to mention before we got the painting, it had been in two fires. It had fallen off the wall at every art show it had been in. And then the guy who painted it, who was a friend of ours, passed away like right around the same time we got the painting. So your uncle, your uncle comes into the home, mm-hmm. and and does his does his thing. Yeah. Am I am I to am I to take away from that that your uncle probably had some understanding of that type of? Oh yeah, he was he was a police officer in the area in one of the hardest times here in one of the worst places. And it was just him and his dog. And uh, they called him El Monstro. He was a bad dude. But as far as paranormal goes, he knew about it. Uh, He dealt with it. He didn't talk about it. That's not how that worked in that family. Uh, He just did his thing. I noticed. And I think he knows he knew I noticed. So it was a little he was a little more comfortable around it with it around me, but he generally did not talk about it ever. Interesting. Yeah. My family, they don't talk about it. My father casually discusses changing his dreams. Like something everybody does. My mom sees things. She talks to this old lady or she has talked to her a few times, but then they just brush it off. And that's the end of it. You never talk about it again. They talk, they speak of it as it's, it's very normal. Uh, no, they speak of it as a, an inconvenience. Like the mailman threw your paper in a puddle and that was the end of that story. And then they just moved on to the next more important thing they had to do. It it was never something openly discussed. It was casually talked about and moved on. I mean, if you go and ask them today, if they believe in ghosts, they'll say no. That's not real, but you know, it's real. (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't have anybody I could really talk about this stuff to, because I do, I remember those things. And then I remember the beginning of this attachment, which it wasn't, it wasn't a bad beginning because I'm a kid. I don't know. These things can trick you. It did to me. Um, you know, I I used to walk us into that. Yeah. So I was alone a lot. I didn't do very well at school. I was kind of ostracized there too. Um, my parents tried really hard to get me into a very nice school. We are not the kind of family that goes to those schools. So it was rough for me there. People didn't like me. 
Um, yeah, and I was just alone all the time. And I remember the promise of not being alone anymore, of not being scared anymore. I remember that. That's really all I remember. But I remember that's when things really changed. I wasn't scared of anything, which I very much should have been. But that turned into anger. And that turned into the normal for me was anger and hate. Man, a 10-year-old shouldn't have that much hatred in their heart. They just shouldn't. I mean, you're, you're a kid. Yeah. <laughs> Should all be great and wonderful. What was your what was your anger and hatred focused on? The 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 obvious that that you were overlooked and you were you were not the a center of attention at times and Yeah, partially. It was partially that. It was partially my lot in life. You know, I wasn't good enough for the rich kids. I wasn't good enough for the poor kids. I just didn't fit in. I was middle class here is a weird thing nobody really had back then where where I was at. And, yeah, nobody liked me. It, it was – I know it sounds terrible and kind of whiny, but it was, it was a fact. I wasn't the right color. I wasn't the right social class – or we didn't have the right income. Just none of it. And so it was always rough for me. I didn't join the gangs like everybody else my age did there. And so I was – man, I was fighting the world all the time. Yeah, I'm sorry you went through that, man. Uh, you know, it's it's okay. I've learned from it since, and I've tried to be better since. But, yeah, I don't want to ever see any kid go through that, and especially, well, not all the kids, but the kids that are gifted, that have this sense early on, it's okay for the parents to talk about it. I mean, they, they should. E- even if it's a way that you want to steer your kid away from that into whatever you want them to believe, that's fine. Just talk about it. Talk about something. Give them that attention. They're kids. They don't know any better. Well, if if you ignore it or if you tell your kid that you're wrong and that doesn't exist and you're being silly and, you know, all you're doing is you're, you're attacking their mental status of, yes. you know, making them question the reality of what they already know and feel and believe in their heart versus – you know, am I crazy for, for feeling this way? It, yeah, it, I, I, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, you know, I I clearly remember after she passed away, my great-grandmother was a, as the stories go, was a mean lady. Um, She didn't speak. At that point in her life, she couldn't speak anymore. She didn't make much facial movements. But I could always, um, she'd always hold me. She'd laugh with me. And, you know, they laughed it off. And they said, oh, she doesn't do that. It's weird. It's just you. And then after she passed away, she'd still show up there in my house in her wheelchair. I don't know why a ghost has a wheelchair, but that's for another time. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I saw her, and I'd tell them, and I'd, it'd get me in trouble. That's not real. Stop doing that. As my dad used to always say, hey, don't you need to go out and dig a ditch? He made me dig ditches all the time as punishment. I hated it. But, yeah, they, it was just very unvalidated or invalidated. So, yeah, that leads into, you know, my next part of life. Um, middle school, high school was not better. It was 
a lot worse. Um, I did find people that I connected to other kids from broken homes, other kids with who potentially could have these negative attachments. We all kind of fed off our negativity and misery and, and it was, it's probably not the best of people to be friends with, but it was somebody and it was better than nothing. Yeah. Nobody wanted to be alone like that. And that just, man, that led down such a dark road for the majority of the rest of my life in one way or another. Um, so right. let, me, let me ask before, before you delve into that, mm-hmm. this, uh, you're, you're aware of this attachment. I imagine at this point, you're not, you're not aware of the term attachment, but you, are you aware that you have this thing that is? Yes. And no, I, I was aware something was there. Because it's so hard to describe. I mean, we're all human. We get angry sometimes. And you have an angry thought. But that angry thought just, without me even trying, would snowball into this such huge mound of just rage and hate. And from just a little thought. And, I, you know, I, I could almost tell back then when it wasn't really me feeding that anymore. I was going along with it because that's what I knew. That That's what was normal to me. But, yeah, it's like an outside source that just kept egging you on. It's like that friend that always gets you in fights. He never gets one of those. fight. Yeah. I had one of those. And, <laughs> and then you turn around and you look, where the hell is he at? <clears throat> Excuse me. Exactly. He's standing, the guy that- he's standing over there leaning out against the front of his car laughing like hell watching your, you fight. That's exactly what this thing was like. It, it was, I considered it my friend, but it wasn't my friend. It wasn't even close. It's probably the worst thing for me. How did it present itself to you? Oh, early on as well, which we'll get into later. I more or less shut myself off to everything spiritual, everything paranormal, all of it. I just, I turned it off. So the, it still got through, and like I said, we'll discuss that. But at that time, um, yeah, I kind of just shut down, and the only things I would hear is that thing. And it was more of a, just a voice in my head, but it wasn't necessarily my voice. It sounds like me, talks like me, but it, it's not mine. Because you know, there's even a point in your mind where you stop that angry thought and move on to something else. Something shiny grabs your attention, and now you're going towards that. This thing would just keep driving and driving and driving that thought and just feed off that negativity. Did you did you realize that it was a bad thing? No. No, I did not realize it. I just thought, and again, these are all the thoughts that are given to you or, well, not given to you. They just made bigger. This was who I was. This was all my fault. The way the world is is because I did it. So this is what I'm stuck with. That's how it presents itself. It wasn't necessarily like a completely disembodied voice, you know, screw those guys. Those guys did it all to you. It wasn't like that. 
And I think there was a point I got, well, towards my, so yeah, the next, the next thing, when things changed with this thing in me was I was 14 and I was with my cousins and my brother. And I think me and my brother have fought more than we've had regular conversations over our life. We just, we fight all the time. We don't get along. We don't like each other. I love him to death, but we are not friendly people to each other. And this was a big fight we had. Knocked down, I mean, you know, throwing blows, fighting, kicking, screaming, all that good stuff. Uh, Something happened at this particular one. And it, it was kind of more like an animalistic rage came over me. I grabbed him. And I started choking the shit out of him. And normally, you'll stop. I didn't stop. But when I tried to stop, I wasn't in my body anymore. I was above me. And it freaked me the hell out. But I was above me watching this happen. Just And there was no more speaking on my end, no more cursing. It was just screaming rage. And I'm just choking the life out of my brother. And my cousins got in the room and ripped me off him. And then they, I don't know how long it took because it seemed like an eternity. I was stuck outside of myself, trying fighting whatever this darkness that was kind of on top of me, like shadow, fighting through it to get back into my body. And they were doing everything that an idiot 14-year-old will do to try to fix their friend, which they have no idea of what's going on. So they weren't helping at all. But I remember at one point getting in, screaming, you know, get out, stop. And then just repeating that over and over and over. Um, at some point, my oldest cousin came in, tired of all this insanity, and uh, grabbed me, picked me up off the bed, walked over and just dunked me in a tub of water and held me there until I stopped fighting. I didn't drown, but I was coughing up water for a little while. But that stopped it. That stopped all of that. But what that did do is it instilled a fear in me of what I could do. So I kind of shut down everything completely. I really stopped talking to people, stopped socializing just out of fear of everything. Um. Yeah, it was like that for a couple years. And then my thoughts, my ideations started showing up, suicidal ideations. Um, you know, people joke about it and you'll see one or two like memes about them. But for me, it was at the moment I woke up almost until the moment I went to sleep. If I had a moment where I could just wasn't focusing on something else. I was thinking about just killing myself and ending it all. And it was every single day for about two years. And I gave in. I, there's an old cottonwood tree about a mile from my house. Went up there and I sat on the branch with some rope ready to go. Uh, I don't know how long I was there for. No idea. But I, uh, I woke up. It was night. 
thought, well, that was stupid and went home and never said a word about it. And, but from then you, you say, you yeah, I up. fell asleep in the tree. Okay. Yeah. I fell asleep in the tree. You had the rope around my neck and everything. It just fell asleep. I sat there so long contemplating doing this or not. And, uh, yeah, after that, I kept those to myself. I didn't tell anybody. And then I learned to put on a face of what everybody else sees and how I really feel inside. And I lived with that for years. Most of my life, actually. So every day. I find it interesting the way you word it. You, you say it as if it's still the present tense. So I am learning how it is to live without these things, to live without the rage, to live without the hate, to live without the suicidal thoughts. I can wake up and smile because I get to see my daughter. I get to go to work. Like there, there's always something now that makes me happy. And so I, I'm still in a little bit of a transition. I say it so it might come off sometimes like it's present, but it's not. And that's that's going to be the difficult part to discuss. How do I tell somebody that I go this way my entire life and then one day it's ends like you turn off a faucet that fast. You turn the faucet off, it never comes back. You don't think it anymore i'm still human i still have angry thoughts i still do stupid things sure but they stop at what i do that that continual just overthinking the same thing to lead it into a bigger bad thought is gone it's just not there it's hard to explain and i want to try what do you attribute you have to have some some thoughts on why that stopped. Oh, I know exactly why it stopped. It it stopped because spirit finally put something in front of me that I listened to. And for the majority of my life, I think there was in the grand scheme of things that are too beyond me to understand. There was something I needed to do going through these things to learn something. And finally, when whatever it was I learned, Spirit said, okay, he's good. Let's get it right. And they would put way, ways out in front of me. And I don't make the greatest choices sometimes. It took me a very long time, years, to finally figure it out and get the help I needed. Did you feel <clears throat> this attachment that you had? And I'm no. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to make it more than what it is or was. Okay. Do you feel that that was in some way um, blinding you to these opportunities to get out? Oh, was it, absolutely. Was it was it steering you away from it- help? Yeah, it had a happy food source. It, it, you know, it. I don't want to sit here and build that thing up bigger than it was. It wasn't some, you know, otherworldly demon, powerful entity. 
the best description, it was an more of an animal, animalistic thing, and it fed off the negativity. Well, now it has a continual food source. So it wanted to keep me right at that level of negativity, but not too much, because too much, and then that's that's it. There's no more me because I couldn't take it anymore. Right. So it would just kind of build it up and keep feeding. And yeah, when people would come and help or try to help, I would avoid it. I'd laugh it off. There was a point I would just dismiss when they told me they would. I've had people grab me. Hey, you have a darkness in you. You need help. Yeah, no, it's fine. I'm good. Don't you're being over. You're overreacting. And these are people that knew more about spirit and the ways things go than I could ever hope to know. And I would casually throw that off like it was nothing where everything else they said was absolute truth. That's weird. Why would you discount discredit this one thing that seems so minor to the other things that you have learned watching them and being with them? Right. And that happened multiple times. So where do we go from here? So let's just keep going on this adventure. <laughs> um, uh, when I was 18, I was able to, well, I was able to fail out of college. That was a pretty uh, impressive milestone. And then after that, I picked up welding and just, you know, general labor work. Um, I ended up becoming a deep sea diver in the Gulf of Mexico. I lived in New Orleans. And New Orleans is kind of where it started for me, slowly opening back up to spirit, paranormal, things like that. Um, that's when it really, I mean, it's its New Orleans, man. You can't hide from that stuff. It's everywhere. <laughs> if, if there is any skeptic listening to this, go spend a week in New Orleans. Just go walk in the middle of a dark place at night and tell me you don't see something. That place is crazy. And that's when I started kind of getting getting back in touch with spirit, in tune. At the same time, it wasn't necessarily the best of ways. Uh, while New Orleans is a fun place, sometimes it's too much fun. And it's, I started heavily getting into drug use and other criminal recreations. While I worked offshore, when I came home, I'd just spend money and do bad things. And... Yeah, that that was a wild time. Now, I, I would assume, you know, you indicated that your your childhood was not the best, um, but I would imagine that there was probably some morality um, that was put in place by your parents as far as being a good person, not stealing, not you know, not doing the the bad, harmful things. Oh, yeah. My parents were all about being a good person and doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. My friends, on the other hand, were completely opposite of that. And you do what you want to do. and Let's have fun doing it. And that's I mean, why would I listen to some people that basically ignored me my whole life? Right. And, you know, again, this it's hard to say what what is me. What was my thoughts and what was this thing? It's it's a very fine line. I, I'd like to think most of it was me. And this thing would just 
add, you know, add to those ideas and just make in them. You're, you're saying that you had it in you and this just brought it out more. Yes. And just rode that wave. Uh, New Orleans was some of the darkest times I had. Um, and again, it was also some of the time, the time I got to see some of the wildest things I got to see. I mean, as far as paranormal goes, just there, there's so many, I can't even tell you all of them in one sitting. Now, it wasn't just by chance. You put yourself in a position to experience some of this as well. You 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 started doing investigations and stuff, correct? No, not then. Really? Back then, I was just minding my business. I had I really never looked into it. At this time, I had shut myself out more or less to the ideas of these things, and I just it was focused, you know, work, drugs work that was it the supernatural the paranormal that came to me it found me and again the older i got i was learning that people like me whether they were negative or not negative they would find me or i would find them spirit would put them in my path one way or another uh one of my earlier ones and one of my closest friends at the time Corey. He he was an awful influence on me, and I was just as bad on him. We were terrible together. But, you know, there were things that we experienced. Um, there was a, I told a story about a band, a ghost band I saw in New Orleans in the middle of the night that wasn't there. We saw that together. And afterwards, he said, he, I remember, he's like, you saw that too? I was like, yeah. I remember that you you talked about that in our uh, Discord, didn't you? Yeah, that was one of the one of the funner ghost stories. <laughs> um, yeah, and he's like, "You saw it too?" I was like, "Well, yeah, I saw it. It was right in front of it. How can you not see these things?" He goes, "Look, it wasn't real. It's not." He and when he said "not real," he he means like it's not something everybody can see. I didn't know you could do this. And I said, "Well, I." What are you talking about? Like, I refused to believe him. I refused that what he was saying was him saying, you're not alone. There's somebody else out here that can see these things you can see. And, you know, a little while later, I don't remember the time. Um, he was like, oh, I get it now. You're, you're fucked up like me. You've got one of those things with you. And I'd laugh it off. Oh, one of those things. Yeah, like crippling alcohol addiction. Ha ha ha. You know, I wouldn't acknowledge it anymore because I was so scared of acknowledging it at this point. I'd rather just do its thing and leave me alone or let me live at least. You know what I mean by that? Yeah. 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 You don't want to, you don't want to give it any more power than it already had. Yeah. And at that point, man, I was either scared of everything or scared of nothing. I couldn't even tell it anymore. So I would do my best just to, be invisible. And any suffering I had to do because of this thing or because of myself, I did it internally. And I didn't tell a soul about it because to me, I didn't think there was anybody that could possibly help. Did you ever, did you ever have any inclination to, to turn to, uh, to turn to the church or, um, (laughs) no, no, the church, the church and, uh, 
So I went to one of the last corporal punishment Catholic schools in the United States. Um, man, and those nuns, they did not like me being left-handed. They hated it. I'm a they tried to, Yeah, I'm they tried to and fix I went that. To, and I went to uh, Christ the King Church for, okay. uh, for seventh grade. Uh, it lasted a half year. And then I went back into public schools. Yeah, well, you're lucky. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I'm a kid with AD, undiagnosed ADHD, rampant. And it, I still have it. I still try to I do better at maintaining it, though. Um, at this point, for lack of a better word, I absolutely hate my existence. I hate everything in the world. I'm just I'm miserable. And then I've got these wonderful at the, nuns. At this point that you're talking about, right? You're not, that's not now. You're talking no, about no, no, no. back then. Okay. Yeah. And so everything, and you'll know when it is, when everything changes for me. Everything up until that point is before. So, yeah. And my childhood was rough and those nuns did not help. But I, I've never been a fan of the church. Now, I am a fan of something bigger than us. I believe in that. And I've sat in multiple or a multitude of different religions just to see what they got to say. And I don't really care what you believe as long as you're not a jerk. And if you've got a good message to give in your own way, I'll listen. Cause man, I love that stuff. I love people uh, ramping people up like that, you know, giving them good news. I'm not so much of a hellfire uh, brimstone kind of guy. I don't like listening to that just because yeah. my childhood was like that. And it's, but, and most of it is designed to scare the hell out of you. Yeah. I'm, I'm scared enough. I don't need more things to scare me. I mean, I live my whole life in fear. Why, why would I want more of that? So yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't big into it as much as my family would have wanted me to be. So that caused some contention as well. So they were pretty active in it. They were, they were active in it. They wanted me to me to be just as active in it. Uh, I think at one point, I remember my father telling me he wanted me to go to seminary school, and I asked something like, "Well, do you think it's because I'm charismatic or I have this big belief?" He goes, "No, I just need you to get a job." I was like, "Well, there's other jobs than that." he's a, he's a very crazy man himself, but yeah, it was, they wanted me to be part of it and I didn't want anything to do with it at that point. Yeah. Um, none of that ever changed my belief. I've always believed in something bigger. I call it spirit, God, the big G, you know, all kinds of things. I don't care what you call it, but yeah. And then back to new Orleans, um, like I said, there's just so much paranormal there. I couldn't ignore it. Uh, my neighbor, Chris, was a voodoo priest. And they would do ceremonies in his yard. And we would sit and watch on the porch while we were drinking and having a good time. And he'd invite us to be a part of it. And we'd be like, well, I mean, what are you guys going to do with that chicken? The chicken that they're sacrificing in the ceremony. He's, you know, he does. Why? He's like, well, that's good chicken. We'll eat that. And man, I think I almost lost my life that night. He was mad. And I got a lecture about, I don't know, it was about releasing demons and things like that. 
I don't remember it too well. I was drinking, but he was pretty patient with me. And I remember him being one of the first ones telling me, you know, I could get that out of you. And, you know, we'd laugh it off, we'd make a joke about it. No, you can't. You can't fix me. I'm messed up. That's how it is. And just move on. And, you know, for the most part, every person that did try to help, they were patient about it. And they never tried to force me into anything I didn't want to do. If I told them no, that was it. And you know why that is. You know why that is, right? Yeah, I know now. I didn't know back then. (laughs) Go ahead and elaborate, please. You'll probably do uh, say it better than me. Well, it it just boils down to you have to want to get rid of it. Because if you're not 100% bought into releasing yourself from it, no matter what anybody does you still have that connection to it and you can pull it back just as quick as possible, just immediate. And it's, you're going to be right back to where, where you started. So the people who were very patient with you, the people that wanted to work with you must've had a pretty higher, pretty high understanding of what they were talking about because they knew that that want has to be in you. Yes. They did. They knew. And, you know, you could see it in a lot of them, uh, a sadness when I tell them no. And I think at the time, uh, most of them were older and they had seen that route before and they saw they knew where it was going to go. So it kind of sucks already knowing something and it hasn't happened yet sometimes. And that was one of them, I think, for a lot of them. I'm not saying they wrote me off. Or they had an idea of where it was going to go since I refused their help. And it was a sad, a sad thing for them, I think. I'm sure. I'm, was it sad for you? I did. Did you, I did you, did you know in your heart, did you know that you should accept the help, but you were just, nah, afraid. fuck it. I was afraid. I knew what I needed to do. Um, were you afraid to, were you afraid to be without it? Yes, absolutely. I had known it so long. Um, I was so scared to think what would happen. Now, this wasn't an active thought. This was more in the background, but I was afraid to lose that because I had known it for so long. And how could anybody possibly like me? Again, these thoughts being fed to me, Mm. nobody's going to like me. They're going to hate me. I'm going to be worse off than I am now. I mean, it sucks, but you might as well just go with what you got. Which is absolutely the wrong answer. (laughs) Never just stick in your own suffering. Always try to get out of it. Right. Yeah. There's always a way. There's always a way. And when when you're too afraid to even acknowledge that, when spirit comes down and puts the answer in front of you, slaps you in the face with it multiple times and you still don't get it, that, that's insanity. And, you know, it finally, it finally took, but it was a long time and a long road. And uh, there were many other people that came in before that. And yeah, it, it was just a, a long fight, a long road. It was tiring, very tiring. 
you know, and I don't want to sit here and make it sound like my life was this horrendous, miserable thing. I did have the ideations every day, every waking moment. If I wasn't thinking about something else, it was there, always there. But I have seen and experienced so many incredible things that I don't care how oppressive anything is. You can't, you can't, sometimes you just have to see those things. You can't not see them. You can't avoid them or ignore them. You know, not to sound too dramatic, I've seen the ocean glow blue from horizon to horizon, just light up this, um, the night sky in this incredible, fantastical blue luminescence. That's incredible. I, I dare anyone to find a bad thing, a negative thing in that. Like, you just can't. It's just amazing to see. Yeah. So there, there, were, there were plenty of good times. And I think that thing needed me to get up higher and then knock me down. So I think it was a constant roller coaster. But New Orleans was definitely at my lowest points. Um, not a lot of great things. Actually, probably the best things in there were the super, the paranormal things. I mean, they, they've stuck with me. I've forgotten most of how the rest of my life was back then. But the, the encounters I had, I do not forget. I can't. There was a, another one. Um, there's a bar. I don't remember the name of it. Anyone who lives in New Orleans, uh, they'll know exactly where I'm talking about. It's off of Bourbon Street. And before Katrina, they used to have um, Tuesday $5 steaks. These were probably not steaks and probably not from cows. But, man, <laughs> they were cheap. And you get beer with it, so why not? Go for it. And we would we would go there every Tuesday when we were on shore. And that would be our pregame into going on to Bourbon Street and the French Quarter later that night. And I was sitting at the bar waiting. My friends were waiting for their food. I went to get a drink, and there was this girl, Alice. Um, mind you, this was over a decade ago now. Alice had red hair, the prettiest face I have ever seen, uh, and a red plaid shirt. On her face, starting above her eye, was a scar about the size of your index, the thickness of your index finger running all the way down to her chin and then out towards her ear, almost all the way. And then a whole ring all the way around. And I talked to her for a good while. We talked about all kinds of stuff when we were homeless at different times, how she used to jump boxcars, um, how she got the scar. She got stabbed in the face. She said with a bottle, she thinks. And it did a lot of damage to her. And she always hated it. And she tries to use her hair to cover it. And I would always, well, not always. I would tell her, um, don't cover that. I always believe scars are just, they add character to somebody. The roadmaps of where you've been. Exactly. Tells a story of your life. And she liked that. And I was just about to ask for her number. Uh, so cell phones were a thing at that time. So, yeah, I was going to ask for her number. And my buddy Corey called me and said, hey, come here. And she turned to grab something from the bar. I turned around. And I said, hey, I'm talking to this chick. I turned back and she's gone. 
And he came over. He said, hey, are you all right? And I, well, yeah, I'm fine. I'm kind of irritated now waiting for her to come back. He's like, you've been sitting up here for an hour. There's You haven't been talking to anybody. And there were four people with us who were just kind of wondering what I was on at the time, which I wasn't at that moment. Um, yeah, I was up there for an hour. Uh, she was not there, according to everybody else. And I wasn't so far away you'd lose line of sight or vision. I was yeah. maybe 15 feet. It was a close place. Yeah, that one always stuck with me. And its I find it strange. I can still remember how she looks and everything about her. Talking, You talk to her once and she disappears like a ghost. So, yeah, that was always a weird one. I don't know if she was ever there or not. It's hard to tell. Wow. That's strange. It's an odd one. It really is. Um, but, yeah, New Orleans and things in New Orleans got worse. I finally, after Katrina, I stayed there for a little while longer. And then I started the road to getting clean and then um, getting fixed years later. But it started there. It started when I made the choice to only take what I could carry and leave my friends, leave everything I knew and move, gosh, two cities down with nothing. I even changed jobs. I mean, I stayed a diver, but I went to different companies. Like I just disappeared off the map. And that was, I kind of just woke up and did it. I didn't have a thought. I didn't plan it out. I just did it. And I, to this day, I have no reason why I've done that when I have. That was one time, the first time I did it. Yeah. Um, the next time that spirit really tried to get me help was when I had moved to Austin after my diving career ended. Um, there's an old man I lived next to. He was a blacksmith. And uh, we did, I helped him. We do restoration work for the uh, museums. We'd restore old pieces, old broken pieces. Generally, we would build the tools that they had in that time. And that's how we would fix the things. We'd fix it like 100% from how they did it. Yeah. It was an incredible thing to learn. Uh, he was very gifted, connected to spirit. Probably one of the higher end people I'd ever known that could do this stuff. And he flat out told me, said, man, you have a darkness in you and you need to get it out or it will kill you. And I laughed it off. Now, I'm good, man. Uh, that was one of the last things he told me before he passed away. And before that, I used to have I used to be sick as a kid on top of all this other stuff. I would get throat infections all the time. And I just got to the point in my life where I would suffer through it. I get some um, antibiotics and I just go in my room and die for a little while. And uh, how he said it was, he just got tired of listening to me whine. So one night he went in and it's hard to describe, but he took that sickness out of me. He asked, he said, Hey, can I fix this? Cause I'm tired of listening to you whine about it. <laughs> I was like, yeah, sure. Whatever, man. So he took it out. And he took it in himself. Um, 
for a few days after that, he had a horrendous throat infection. And he asked me to check the back of his throat to see what he, I could see. In the back of his throat, it was orange. Bright, bright, like almost neon orange and veiny. And in between the veiny parts, it was purple. And I said, that's freaking me out. I've never seen anything like that. And he said, yeah, that means what I did is working. Don't worry about it. Leave me alone. Like, oh, okay. He was a grump. But, yeah, so I knew this guy could do this. I knew he could fix me. I knew he had the ability to change how I was on the inside. Because at that time, I could hide it so well, nobody knew. Nobody knew how I was really. He knew. He always knew. And he offered to help. And I told him, no. That's just who I am. It's what I am. I'm fine with it. He told me I was full of shit. And we just went about our day. He asked me three times. Three times he asked me if he could help me. And I, over the years that I knew it. And I refused every time. And then that leads me into the fire department. Weirdly enough, it was his idea. And the fire department, from then until recently, is what really kept me going. Which sounds crazy, but the worse the situations are, the better I feel because I can fix their problem. I can fix that. You cut your arm off, I can fix it. I mean, I can at least stop the bleeding, but I can fix those things. And it gave me a sense of purpose that I never had before. It, it's, you know, a lot of kids, when they come to apply for a fire department, they you ask them, why do you want to be here? I want to help my community. I want to serve the community and give back. That is the correct book answer for the fire department. You are not allowed to say, I want to eat snacks and take naps, man. And because that's why most of us are here. It's easy. And it sounds super cool all the time to the chicks. Girls love it. Yeah. So I, I am here because I found a purpose in it. I found a way to be useful. And he did it. He told me one day, just out of nowhere, we were doing a restoration. We were restoring a wagon wheel. And he said, hey, take a break. Go down to the local fire department and apply. I said, why? He said, because you kind of suck at this. Go apply. <laughs> I'm like, okay, man, that's cool. So I went and applied it. That's how I started. And the fire department has kept me going for years. And... It's also helped me get in touch in a different way with spirit. And it made me realize I can do things other than just being a firefighter. There's things I can do that will help people in the, in the other way, the different way. Um, I used to transport um, kids from this place called Vicky's kids. Uh, do you know what a vent is a ventilator? Yes. Okay. My daughter is a respiratory therapist. Right on. You'll, you'll be able to catch a lot of what I'm going to say then. So these are all ventilated kids. Um, generally, non, they are all non-functional. They cannot function. Vicky's Kids is a program that takes care of them and gives them a semblance of a good life for their time on this earth. Uh, my job was to transport them to doctor's visits, things like that. The majority of these kids are contractured. They have eye tracking. Some of them can kind of speak, but it's very 
um, they uh, they can't function. It's just how they are. And they generally cannot follow commands. They are going to sit there and be just wonderful little vegetables. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. So they're just going to sit there. You know, I, I, let me, let me, let yeah, me stop you there for a second because, um, you know, the, the crassness, I guess, of, of how you are describing these, these children who have obviously have a, an awful, uh, road to, to toe in, in life, uh, yes. because of their disabilities. This is a part of your everyday. This is this is your in your ability to say something like that. There, I know from from my daughter's standpoint of seeing people die. There's some compartmentalization that has to go on, mm-hmm. and you have to find some levity in in what you do, and it may not always come out being politically correct, but it is a way that you deal with it so that you aren't depressed and, and, and full of anxiety because of the things that you do every day. I am so glad you understand that because it's just going to go downhill from here. But yes, uh, our dark humor is what keeps us running some days. And uh, I, for everyone listening that doesn't understand that we need that to survive because, and I don't like using this term. We see more than others. I don't, but we do. You're not going to get it unless you're there. You're not going to get it. You're not going to be able to see and understand and feel those things we're feeling. And this is how most of us, a lot of us survive seeing those things. Yeah. And in my career, and I really do attest this to spirit, making me do what I can do and help how I can. I have the record for the most deaths in my region for my 15 years of doing this. Uh, If it's going to go bad, I'm going to be there. Not because I want to be there. I try to get out of them, but man, it's just, that's going to be my day. I get the call. And uh, I've had, Thousands, thousands of them. And I'd rather it be me than some of these younger kids that aren't ready for it. That's another important thing. Because, man, just because you think you can handle it doesn't mean you can handle it. It, My brother could not handle it. He tried. He wanted to be like me. And I said, come on with me. You're going to see some bad stuff. No, I'm not. I'll be fine. I'm just like you. Um. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Do you mind if I talk about two gross ones? No, go ahead. Okay. Um, so the first one was a motorcyclist that got caught under the semi, a semi truck. Oh, Jesus. 
Yeah, the semi truck did not know he was there for about ten miles. Jeez. It was very brutal. It was very gross, and we had to go pick the guy up in multiple places. That was the first one for my brother. We talked about it. We tried to work through it. It bothered him to this day. It still bothers him. The next one, I wasn't there with him on. I could not be there. I was at a different place, and there was a wrong a guy decided to commit suicide by driving the wrong way down the freeway and he hit a pastor and was on the way to pick his family up at an airport. And that was a horrific wreck. Horrific. And after that, he came to me crying, told me what he saw. And he said, I'm sorry, I'm not as strong as you and I can't be like you. And I was, I was mad at him because I don't want anyone to be like me. And he didn't have to be like me. And I am more proud of him. I am prouder of him because he could step up and say, this is not for me, man. I do not want to do this. I cannot do this. I also did not want him to thank me for doing it. That's not why I do this. I don't look for thank yous. I mean, please, by all means, bring me snacks. I love snacks. Bring them all the time. (laughs) But, yeah, the whole thank yous, I don't need those. That's not why I'm here. And there's a lot of guys, a lot of firefighters, police officers, nurses. They uh, they go through the same things I go through. And I'm a guy dealing with this with a negative attachment, feeding the negativity. It's okay to talk about these things. It's okay to let loose somewhere. And it is absolutely okay to have that horrid, dark sense of humor if that's what gets you through it. Yeah. It is absolutely okay. I've even seen, you know, I've seen the change in my daughter. I mean, she's been she's been in respiratory therapy for um, a short time. She went to college. She got her degree in it. She went stepped right into one of the uh, the biggest hospital in a, in a large city. Um, does a lot of time in the emergency room, and she gets pulled over to the uh, the children's section. Um, so she's, she's seeing it on both ends and I have seen a, a pretty dramatic change in, in her, um, in her sense of humor and her ability to talk about things that she's seen in a, in a way like what you did earlier. Um, with with a crassness to it, with a um, with a dark sense of humor about it, and we've had the conversation. It's like you know, I I told her, I said, you know, you it, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to seek somebody out to talk about this stuff because if you don't, if you don't deal with what you're you're having to experience every day. At some point, it's going to come back and it's going to bite you in the ass, and it's not going to be good. Yeah, and, and you know, just in just the couple of years that she's been doing it, some of you know some of the things that she's told me, and you know, I made the mistake early on. I made the mistake of like, eh, I don't want to hear this shit, um, but you have to, you have to be there for somebody and and let them get it off their chest because. 
they've got to talk about it at some point. You have to, you have to vent it and, you know, to somebody. Yeah. And, you know, I am truly not welcome to most of my Thanksgivings now. Uh, or if I am, I'm not allowed to speak anymore <laughs> because that's not the right place to do it. You got to find the people you can talk to. You absolutely have to. Uh, and man, sometimes it's just a dude on the side of the street that only wanted a buck. He didn't want to hear about what you went through. Yeah. But sometimes that's the guy that gets to hear it. And surprisingly, the homeless guys, they've seen enough that they're, when they're not crazy, they are some of the most understanding of what you can go through in this field because you're, 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 you're helping them and they're at their, well, I don't want to say worse. Some of them want to be there, but they're at a low point. So they, they they know what you're going through because they're going through it with you just on the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. But it's hard for us as first responders to find safe places to talk to. It really is. And yeah, it's okay. It's okay to talk about negative attachments. It's okay to talk about the rough stuff you've seen in life. It's all okay. It's not okay for you to hide it and to be scared of it and to just pretend it's not there. Just wear a mask that nobody inside you sees sees the true you and what's really going on. That's not okay. That will not help you. Well, that that's a powerful statement they just made, and I'm gonna I'm gonna draw a little bit of a correlation to um, the 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 genre of of what my show encapsulates, and that can be everything from somebody who saw a UFO, um, thinks that they have had some kind of interaction with a extraterrestrial, um, people who have been um, haunted mm-hmm. people who have, um, like yourself, picked up a, uh, a, a dark hitchhiker from going to uh, investigate paranormal activity in in, in certain locations. Um, people who have seen Bigfoot. Hmm. All these people are afraid to talk about the things that. They've seen. Mm-hmm. Yes. You, you have some that are strong enough to be able to talk about it. You have some who don't give two shits what other people think. But when you when you bring it up enough times and you've met with enough eye rolls and you've heard that that doesn't exist, you're crazy. We're going back to circling back to you when you were a child trying to tell your parents and they're telling you, no, it it didn't happen. You're making stuff up. It's not true. You're crazy. You know, um, it's it's the it's the same thing. It's in in all of these different weird Fordian topics. Uh, we run into the same thing. You know, it's and it's okay for you to talk about it. There are places you can find places where it is okay to talk about it, and you're not going to meet with resistance. You're not going to meet with people that are going to tell you that they're crazy because those people are there because they had an experience as well. Yeah. And you know, you, you're part of this. You're part of the solution. You talking about it, you bringing on the people that you bring on it. It gives people like me hope. And like I said, a little later on, we'll talk about it because I had nobody. And then I started hearing your show. 
and who you were talking with and what they were talking about. The only people at that time I knew were the ones spirit put in front of me, who I generally would spurn out of the way, out of my way. But you guys on the show, I can't spurn you away. And I don't know why I kept listening. There was something there that kept me listening. It kept me hearing these things. And it, it's what helped. It was the beginning of helping me get fixed in a way. Because you guys were not scared to talk about it. You weren't worried about what somebody over there is going to say about what you're saying on your show. If they don't like yeah. it, they don't listen. That's about as far as you go with it. Exactly. And that's amazing. And that's a fear people don't have or that people do have. I cannot go talk to my friends about this stuff, which leads into firefighters and paranormal. We will talk about dead babies, suicides, the worst things on this planet, but we will not talk about ghosts. You don't talk about that of all the things you talk about. Really? Man. Well, starting with the kids. So Vicky's kids. I, I don't know how I know, and I don't really understand how things work. But I do know that these kids, these children, inside this contractured body that needs a machine to breathe for them, there's a kid. There's yeah. a spirit, the soul of a kid, and it's still just a kid. And I don't want to sound all mystical. I, I, can, I can feel that. And sometimes they just need a happy person who sees them for who they are. Not their body, not what they are. Just see them as the kid they are. And there's been a few times I've asked them to do things that they've done. Um, actually, this one was just a few months ago. There was a, a girl we transported to the state home. She was contract, contractured, um, alert and oriented, time zero, not aware to anything. Uh, I was actually third riding for a second job I picked up, moonlighting. And... Um, I needed to put a pulse ox on her finger and she was contractured. And then the girl with me, the medic's like, yeah, you can't do that. Don't even bother. I was like, watch me. I said, Hey, sweetie, can you open your arm for me? Open your hand for me. And she did. She was like that. Just one finger popped up. We've trans they've transported this lady numerous times. Never had that happen before the, my medic tried to, I've never seen someone try to squirm out of an ambulance before. It freaked her out, you know, and I just said, thanks. Awesome. And then I just talked to her like she was a human being. Cause that's all she was. That's all she is. Yeah. She's just another person. And so, yeah, with people like that. And then when it comes like, again, spirit putting me in the way of things, uh, death, nobody wants to die alone. We all may say we're fine with that right now, but when you're there and it's happening, you're except for one guy in my entire career, everybody's been scared to do it. And I think just being there, whether I can get him back or not, is not really the point. I mean, hey, if I get him back, that's cool. I'm, I'm all for that. But even if I don't, and they, there's a bit of peace there with them when they move on. That fear is taken away. You can almost feel it as you walk into the room and we start doing what we do. And that is why I 
am more than happy to take those calls like that because I, I feel like I bring a sense of peace and it gives me such a sense of self-worth to do it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie and be unselfish here. It makes me feel useful in a bigger way. And I think that has mattered to me for it's, it's helped me get through a lot of these harder times. Now that one guy, um, I don't remember his name. He was 93 year olds. He went to an adult daycare. The day before we met him, he uh, walked in and said, hey, just to let you guys know, Angel came to me last night. I'm going to die tomorrow. I just want to say bye to all my friends. I love you all. And he went back home. The next day, he walked in. It was earlier in the morning. Um, I remember her name. Her name was Brenda. And he said... To the rest of his friends, goodbye. I love you guys so much. Hey, Brenda, you want to see something cool? And died. Dropped dead right there. He did not what like Brenda. the hell? Yeah, oh, he didn't my like God. her. Uh, she was not a nice lady, but she, poor lady, was freaked out for that. But, yeah, he did. And of all the people I've ever tried to resuscitate, he was the only one when I went to touch him, to put hands on him and start doing the, the work. There was nothing there. He had checked out. He had signed everything he needed to sign. He was good with where he was going. He was done. And I've never, except for that one guy, felt that before in, in a person. It was mind blowing for me. And it was probably mind blowing for Brenda, too. I don't think she was ever OK with that again. <laughs> I don't think she probably was. But, yeah, she's screaming, you know, screaming, hysterical. I can't believe he said that to me and died. No one does that. Well, well, he did. (laughs) That was something else. (coughs) I'm sorry that I find that I find that to be humorous. (laughs) Uh, Man, it, it is. You can't you can't not laugh at that. That was just too much. Even while we were trying to look as serious as we could and grinning quietly to ourselves when that happened because we were there about four minutes after it happened. So it was all still pretty fresh. But So you you say that um, EMTs, firefighters, you guys, you'll talk about all kinds of stuff, but you don't talk about ghosts. Nope. And I got to ask you, why (laughs) is that? I don't know with these guys. I think a lot of it has to do with all of these problems we have. Sick people, stroke patients, CPRs, heart attacks. We can fix it. And if we can't fix it, we can try really hard to fix it. Like we can do something. These are things we have been trained and we know how to do. We know how to work on the problem. You can't fix a ghost. You can't fix a spirit. You can't fix some scary thing that has happened. There, we have nothing in our toolbox that deals with those things. And a lot of our guys, it's all about the training you do. Sometimes you don't even know what you're doing. It's all muscle memory. If you train good and train hard, we don't have anything in our toolbox to fix these things. So for some of them, it's just better to say they don't exist. And I have irrefit. Yeah irrefutable proof from some of from some incidences with multiple people that you have to acknowledge it's there and sometimes these guys don't take it well 
There's a fairly famous case in the west side of El Paso. They call it the La Llorona call. Uh, Most of it was caught on dash cam. The rest of it was on radio. There was a deputy out there who got a call for a lady covered in blood. He responded to the call and he, he, in the video and on the, the dispatch recordings, you hear him roll up. Hey guys, I've got visual. There's this lady covered in blood. Ma'am, ma'am, are you okay? Come here. Don't walk away. She walked through a fence and disappeared. And, you know, for paranormal investigators, that's, it's pretty standard stuff. Like you hear that story all the time. This guy, we responded with them. So I was about four or five minutes after him. Um, we get there. He's on his car having an absolute panic attack. Uh, he's having difficulty breathing. He's starting to hyperventilate. And um, we had to work on him and he's like, it was there. It was there. I swear. I'm not crazy. And we're like, yeah, we know, man, like we trust you. We know you're good at your job, but he could not comprehend seeing her disappear like that. And we went and looked around. Uh, we couldn't find any tracks. Couldn't find a single thing that would indicate there is anybody there. As far as we could tell, except we had the dispatch recordings. This guy was a liar. He lied about the whole thing. That's what most of the guys would say. Yeah. But there was irrefutable proof in my eyes that this happened. He believed it happened. So these guys won't talk about it. I've got another one that happened to Fabens. Uh, it ended pretty much the same way. We go to this little old lady named Mrs. T. Um, in her house. The majority of the house just looks exactly like what you would imagine a grandmother who had changed her decor since the 70s house would look like. Like it looks like every grandma, you know, was a bad decor house. Yeah. It was all clean. Uh, she stayed in the back. She was an invalid. Um, the two things that stood out was one was a painting of her sister. It was terrifying in the painting. And, uh, Mrs. T said, this lady, or my sister, she watches out for me. She, she takes care of me when I need it. Her sister had been passed for years, probably decades at that point. And the other thing in this house that immediately stood out was I told you how the house was. It was nice. It was clean. Except for one room. Um, one room, when you open the door, looks like it had absolutely been ravaged by a fire. And then the entire structure was abandoned. There was a hole in the roof, never fixed. There were scorch marks everywhere. I mean, it was a room ravaged by a fire, as far as I could tell. Um, Our records show we've never had a structure fire at that house. We have no reason to think that there was ever a fire there that we didn't know about. Uh, If you have a fire of that intensity with that much damage, it generally travels to the rest of the house. So those were the those were the two weirdest things in that house. Now, Mrs. T, if we would transport her or get her loaded up and we forgot something in her room, her TV would turn on or her radio would turn on or stuff would go flying across the kitchen right in front of us. It's like somebody was standing where we couldn't see them just chucking it through. Uh, this happened every single time we went to her house, every time. There were some times 
Mrs. T, we would go to the house because we get a 911 call saying, help, I fell. That's what the dispatch logs show. It says, help me, I fell. Turns out, we find out from the ambulance that Mrs. T was transported two weeks to an assisted living home. She wasn't there. She hadn't been there for two weeks. And that happened multiple times. So we were convinced the house is haunted. Mrs. T's sister's there always doing something, and she knows the number to 911. So when she got bored, she'd call us. Now, we tell the newer uh, SO officers who would go with us, because if we're going to break into somebody's house, we want PD there just in case it surprises everybody a little too much. Right. Um, so they'd go with us. We'd make entry, and we'd always tell them, hey, be respectful in here. Mrs. T's sister doesn't mess around. Just yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, if you hear anything, stay out of that room, the room that looks like it's destroyed. Uh, one of the tougher SO deputies said, you guys are all a bunch of chickens. And we said, look at that room and tell us where something's wrong. He's like, no, they just didn't clean it. He walked into the room to show us that there's nothing wrong. He walked into the room and the door slammed closed. Uh, he starts screaming, top of his lungs screaming. The door's closed. We go to get the door. The door's locked. Now we're straight into scary haunted house, not fun haunted house anymore. The door was locked. He's screaming, get, help me, help me, help me. So we break her door down. And uh, he's curled up in a ball on the ground just screaming his head off. We grab him. We drag him out. We get him checked out. He's good to go. We're like, what happened? Nothing. What What do you mean nothing happened? Oh, I was messing with you guys. Uh, we don't think you were since the door locks from the outside, not the inside. No, no, no. Nothing happened. Uh, he never responded to that call, that house again. He always found something else to do at the time. But yeah, Mrs. T house, that was a wild haunted house that and uh, all my firefighters would were gen- most of my firefighters generally would not acknowledge anything that happened in that house. And that house was clearly something was going on there. So not even not even a look like you know to acknowledge like holy no. shit something just flew across the room. They just no. like totally ignore it, like it like it never even happened on a lot of them. You think it's possible that some of them didn't see it? Absolutely. But you hear it. You know, if I take my water bottle and chuck it across the wall, you're not going to see me throw it. It's behind this camera screen. But you're going to hear it hit the wall. You yeah. can't not hear it. I mean, you know, and for us, we've got to have a little situational awareness walking into a home. True. We're assuming nobody's in, but very many very well, many times there's been somebody in there just as surprised as we are. So, yeah, you're you're a little heightened already. And if you see something flying across, you're assuming automatically somebody threw that. Therefore, somebody's in the house. I need to go see who that somebody is. No, with these guys, because because I don't know why it just didn't happen. And you generally will not ignore those things when you're in that situation. You can't, your situational awareness is too high. Hmm. 
I mean, it's hard to explain, but I tried to get all the guys I know to put together their paranormal experiences and fire an EMS. I had two guys come to me. And I, I know a lot more than two. And most of them say nothing ever happened. I've never seen it. Very it, unlikely. <laughs> uh, we got a call to a house covered in blood. We get there, the house is blue, no blood on it. Uh, at that time, one of the firefighters who was volunteering with us, he was actually a child living in that house when it happened. And he remembers the call. He said, no, you guys came because we walked outside and our house was covered in blood. This is also their uh, yard butts up to a cemetery, an older cemetery. So, so the exterior of the house was covered in blood. Yes, red blood. That's They were screaming their heads off. Uh, we got there. There was blood on the walls. It, it wasn't like, you know, the shining elevator blood coming out. But there was definitely blood on the walls. Like, now, I have had a patient who cut the top of his head while he was drunk and walked home. And every trailer home he passed, since he had it hit an arterial line, he was hosing down those houses oh, with Jesus. blood. Just had no clue in the world it was happening, but this was a little bit more than that. If there was that much blood on the house, um, we'd probably find the guy really, really fast because he probably wouldn't get very far. Yeah. But, and then, yeah, there it was dried blood all over the house. It was wild. And I've got guys who said that didn't happen. Someone just ran by and painted the house. Blood has a very iron smell to it. Paint does not have that. It's how it smelled like it. So, yeah, it's just, again, people sometimes just cannot talk about things. And it's mind-boggling. When you see these things you see, and you see this, and you cannot talk about this. You can't. It's just not there. Again, I go to the toolbox. That would be a, that would be a difficult situation to be in. To to have somebody there who witnesses exactly what you witness, and to not get any kind of cooperation out of them. No, and you know these guys, I can trust will save my life in a burning fire. I can also trust most of them will hit on my wife. It's just how firefighters are, but they will not. I, there's things I know for certain that they will do. But that's something that they will not have your have my back on. It's a crazy thing. I I, I just don't is, understand is it, it. Is it something that's similar to pilots reporting a UFO? Is it a career killer? Um, no. You just become the weird dude. I am the weird dude now, but I don't think it's a career killer. I think. Most people like me who know they've seen it, um, they will just go with the flow and not talk about it. Say, okay, that's something we don't talk about. Moving on. Um, even if it eats you up inside, you just don't talk about it. And that is absolutely, of everything we've been talking about, that is absolutely the wrong mentality to have. But then again, come you guys. Comes uncomfortable. Comes the other podcast shows. You guys give us a place to talk about these things and not just fire an EMS. Everybody, everybody out there, 
you're not going to immediately go to, oh, this person's a wackadoo. Right. You're going to say, okay, tell me your story. I want to hear it. And I guess we as the community get to judge ourselves whether we think they're wackadoo or not. And that's fine. Well, I think that's a I think that's a valid point you make. Um, yeah, you, I, I mean, it, I don't think it's designed to be that way, but you're. <clears throat> what's the right way to put this? You are you're sharing your experience with peers in the genre. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, you say you had a, a dark attachment for a good portion of your life. I'm not going to sit here and say you're lying. I'm not going to, I'm not going to encourage people to sit there and pick apart your story. And, you know, people who have an interest in this, are generally interested in it because they've had some kind of an experience themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whether and they're, whether they're willing to gut it out and admit it, or they turn to shows like this without anybody knowing, and they're finding comfort in hearing other people's experiences because they know they're not alone. And the lonely, the loneliness in this is a killer. It really is. It's it's horrid. And you know, I did it for years. Um, I just power through it. It's not that big a deal. I can make it. I'll make it another day. And it's it's such a relief to be able to talk to somebody. And you know, the people that want to pick it apart, you knock yourself out. You go for it. You find every flaw you possibly can. If that's what makes you you know, get up and go in the morning, you go for it, man. And for the ones that are listening to me that are going through this or feeling that loneliness or dark attachments or, you know, just anything not fun, we're here for you. We'll talk to you. Hell, I'll talk to you. I like talking. Um, there are people out there that will listen, and that's all we need, just like fire, just like our dark humor. I, sometimes we just need someone like you to listen. That's it. It's, it's, had, a, it's a very I've healing had, thing. I've had people contact me who had no interest in being on the show. Some, I I mean, I, I can talk about this because she told me it was fine to. Um, I had a, a girl who listens to me over in the UK who is uh, just a lovely person. Um, about a year ago now, um, she asked if we could have a phone call and, you know, it, it took some work and, you know, there's a considerable time difference between here and there. And, you know, one afternoon, um, she just wanted to tell me about, you know, her, her brother passing away or mom passing away and how, how bad she felt. And, you know, she, she witnessed, uh, some things that scared the hell out of her when her mom was passing, she saw lights underneath the, uh, underneath the bed as, as her mom was passing away, uh, wow. little just glowing lights underneath the bed. And she was scared of it. She, it was, uh, 
you know, it wasn't something that was normal to her. And, uh, you know, I, I said, you know, maybe that was just a, maybe that was your gift. Maybe that was a gift for you. Maybe you got to see that. Mm-hmm. To just help to you, let you know, yeah. just to let you know. And she had never looked at it from that perspective, you know, and there we, we did the phone call much like this uh, video call. Um, you know, sometimes people just need to talk and, you know, if, if I can facilitate that, I'm happy to do it. Um, yeah. And, you know, plus side, you get an awesome show out of it. People love to listen to it just perpetuates it. You find more people that say, Hey, I can talk to somebody. I'm going to do it now. It took me. And this is, this is the fun part. How I got to this point. So with the firefighting, it kept me going. I was still in a hard place. I, uh, the negativity was trying harder in the rest of my life to show itself. And I was falling for it. The ideations were getting worse. Um, There were multiple times that I got really close, really, really close. Um, I was becoming a worse person to the people around me. I was becoming a horrid husband. I was becoming an abusive father. This thing was finding a way to continue that negativity, even though I had so much positive over here. And it was doing it in the worst way. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that all of the terrible things I did was just that alone. We are all products of our environment. and How I grew up affected how I became a parent. I was lucky enough to understand that and catch it and try to fix it. But it was very hard to do. And it was getting worse. And the, um, my job was just not helping me like it used to. And it seemed like the happier I got, the worse things got. Um, you know, my getting married, my wife, my son being born are supposed to be amazing times in my life. They were not for me. And I would take that anger and I would put it at the two people in the world that absolutely did not deserve it in any sense of the way, ever. And it was becoming unbearable for me, for them. I did a lot of damage. And at the same time, I would try to stop myself and try to fix things. But I always just reverted back. And I was also at this time becoming more aware of this thing. Um, I remember, don't, it, it was a little thing, it, you know, a little good thing. Um, my, I was working out of town. My son had taken his first steps while I was out. And that is incredible. It was wonderful. Uh, they sent me a video. I came up with a reason to get out of the get out, out of where I was working and drive home as fast as I can. On my drive home, I did nothing but scream and rage and just let out 
horrendous emotions the entire time because I was such a piece of shit. Sorry. For um, not being there for my son, even though knowing full well everyone knew I had to be where I was at so we could do better in life. Yeah. And situations like that kept happening more and more. The better things were, the angrier I got and the worse I got. And I would hide it. I'd go do it like in a room. I'd rage out or driving somewhere. I would just let all this rage and emotion loose. But I was fooling myself into thinking doing it that way was getting it out of my system so I wouldn't have it when I came home. But what I was really doing was riling myself up. You were ramping it up. I was ramping it up. And then came the point where I tried to stop. Um, I try. I made a conscious effort. It was when my wife was pregnant with my daughter. My daughter. She was deathly ill. She almost didn't make it. My wife. Uh, her kidneys stopped working. She lost twenty five pounds her third trimester. And I was the biggest asshole on the planet to her. And to the point she left me. She left. She grabbed my son, said, this is insane. Do you not hear yourself? And I, she left me. And that's when it just kind of came all crashing down. I couldn't hold the faith. I couldn't hold the mask anymore. I couldn't rein my emotions back in. I couldn't do it. I had more or less just given up and just decided to live in a world of unpleasantness and hate and anger and all those things. And I just stayed like that for a while, a very long while. Um, like I said, um, that was probably the, the point. If everything that happened next didn't happen, we would not be having this conversation. I had given up that much. A friend of mine, who was a paranormal investigator, uh, came over one day. We were talking about some stuff. And she was like, what's that? She heard a dark, mean growl. And I said, that's nothing. And laughed it off and moved on. She said, no, she stopped me. She said, no, that's something. Something's there. Said, no, nothing's there. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Um, I... So the other thing I, I would do, and I didn't realize I would do this thing, but whenever I would talk about spirit, paranormal, anything of that nature, especially when those times, because, and I didn't mention this before, I had told you spirit puts things in front of me to try to help me with this. There were many, many nights, many days, all the time, I was screaming to God for help. Get me out of this. Give me help. I need help. I need something. And that was consistent. And like a dummy, it would show up. My help would show up. And I would turn it away for whatever reason. So that's important. So, yeah, I, I asked for help. I wanted help. But I didn't know how to get it. And I didn't know how to say yes. And I figured this was just my way in life. And those people weren't really there to help me. They were just, you know, uh, people caught up in my bullshit or something along those lines. So 
I was pretty much done. I was at the end. Um, <laughs> sometimes I'll dream about things that haven't happened or that are going to happen. Um, I always know they're the important dreams, not just the fever dreams my brain makes up, because I can remember them. Almost every dream I've ever had with some significance like that, I can still recall it perfectly till now. One of them, um, I I suffer from some really bad ADHD. And it gets to the point where I de- I have developed insomnia because I cannot get my mind to stop. I cannot stop thinking about whatever it is. I have created places in my mind that are empty. And they're empty of thought. They're empty of everything. I give them shape. One of them is a, it's a baseball stadium. And underneath is this locker room that just goes on for eternity. It's infinite. But in places like that, it's where I get the best sleep because there's not a thought in the world. I just sit and exist. And those are important places for me. One night, I was on the steps of the baseball stadium and a few very odd things happened. This girl comes up to me who's blonde, has a ponytail, kind of short. She walks right up to me and says, we need to meet. I was like, okay, cool. That's a weird dream. I go into the the, the locker room and inside the locker room is a table. Um, There are four people sitting at this table. I know who they are now. And you were one of them. You were just coming off of COVID. Me? Now, I've never met you. Yes, you. You, Tommy, JJ, and the other investigator. I have never met you guys. I've never listened to your podcast to this point. I was told by that investigator that she had a friend who might be able to help me. And she told me her name. And I had her information for a few months before I, well, actually, I just forgot about it because nobody can help me. I'm, I'm screwed. And she comes to me, says, we need to meet. And then I'm sitting at, I'm sitting in here watching this table with four people, you being one of them, you had COVID or just coming off of COVID. Um, and you guys are talking above you is this dark thing. And I remember you talking on the episode, which I eventually listened to, that there was something trying to stop your show from happening. That's what JJ said. So I've listened to you all talk. The next day, my friend sends me the leak, said, hey, we just put this show together. And I know you've never listened to these guys before. But listen to this one. Just humor me, please. So I did. And I about crashed my freaking car. When I started realizing who I'm listening to are the people that I've seen in my dream that I've never met before. What the hell? It blew my mind. Absolutely. I I did. I almost wrecked. Like I was just so stunned and looking off thinking about this that traffic was bad. So it was just it was a feeling or it was you recognized the physical appearance of us. I recognized uh, your voices. And you especially because you started coughing because you did that in my dream. And then uh, 
yeah, JJ introduced herself. And she's while she was talking, I was like, holy cow, that's the that's the one that told me we need to meet. That's the one. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. And it was so clear. The voices, because I, I, I never saw your faces. All I heard was your voices, your tones, your sound. And it sounded in my dream exactly like it sounds right here, right now. There's no difference. And even when you're coughing, I kind of get a little flashback to that dream I had with you. Because yeah. that's exactly how you sounded in the dream. You were coughing. And so it's got to have been the next day or a couple of days later, I sent JJ a message finally. Uh, it took all the willpower I had to just hit the send button. I think I let it sit there for a few days before I actually did it. it took a lot of work. And it was something evolved along the lines of, hey, you told me in my dream we need to meet. I don't know why. And then JJ walks the door of my life. And she's totally cool with it. Yeah, I know. It's not the weirdest things anyone said to me. What's going on? Tell me about yourself. And we talked for a while. Um, finding out later, she she had a suspicion something was going on, but she didn't know for sure. And then finding out much later, this was like her whole deal is what she does. She fixes these problems. Um, we talked and I had to, they got to the point. She said, we've been talking for a while. I know what's going on. Do you want my help or not? And I told her, I said, finally, I said, yes, I need help because I don't think I can make it through tomorrow. That's how far gone I was. I said, I'm not going to make it. And then she helped. And she did point out while we were having her discussions, and this is something I had never noticed I did. But whenever I was talking to the people that would help me, or the people that were aware something was wrong with me in that sense. I would start speaking in riddles, gibberish. I sound like a freaking stroke patient. Like none of my words made sense. Come to find out, I think it was my way of trying to talk about these things to these people without it knowing what I was doing. Because at this point, it was controlling my emotions. It was controlling my feelings. So it would just start dumping all that negativity in there. And I wouldn't be able to tell them what's going on. So you were and trying to disguise it? I was, I think I was trying to get help without it knowing. Because it clearly did not want me to get help. Why would you get rid of a food source? Yeah. It wanted me to stay the way I was. You know, looking a little further into that, if I had continued down the path I did, I think I finally would have ended my life. And I think I finally would have been abusive enough to my son to put him in the same situation I was in, that this thing now had a new place to go to. It was pretty much done with me, moving on to the next one. And I, I truly believe that's what would have happened if I had continued. And I don't like that. That feeling sucks, man. That's a horrid feeling. On top of all that. So... Yeah, JJ my, did her thing. Oh, go my ahead. guess is it wouldn't have been done with you. My guess is that 
what I learned from Christina Rake is some of these some of these creepy crawlies that aren't necessarily demonic, just things that feed off of the negativity and 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 like you said, use you as a food source. Um, many times will act like a virus where mm-hmm. they won't they won't leave you. They'll just migrate and spread though there will there will be a division of it and it would move to your son but it would it would still keep feeding on you as well yeah exactly just you know more, more food when you look at it in a very animalistic way well virus that's a wonderful way to put that i didn't think of that um yeah so then we get to work and I've seen weird things. I've got crazy stories, man. And JJ just kind of tops it all in her way. She said, okay, we're, we're doing it. And it was in the middle of the day. Um, there were a, a lot of other things that were strange coincidences at the time. But at that immediate time, she said, okay, I'm coming in. And I'm fixing this. We're getting it done now. So she says, I need you to get comfortable. Um, I sat down at first and then I started feeling funny. So I just laid on my back and she sent me a few messages. Uh, I actually had to go back and read them because at the time I couldn't. Um, One of the messages was, Hey, I'm covering your ears because this is going to be loud. And she's like, get ready. Here we go. So straight out of the exorcist movie, my back arched off the ground. And I couldn't move. I was paralyzed just like when we take our patients and give them sucks. Uh, I'm not going to tell you the, the full name of that because I can't pronounce it. But <laughs> So it's a paralytic. Uh, their mind is aware. Their eyes are moving. They are tracking. They know everything that's going on. They can hear you and see you. But their body is fully paralyzed to the point you have to breathe for them in a, with a bag. And that's what was going on. I couldn't move. My back was arched. I swear I was coming off the ground. Like I was, I think I was floating. I might've been, but I couldn't move. I couldn't get away. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. Just move my eyes and just think to myself, what the shit is happening? (laughs) It was, it, it was terrifying. And then things started happening all at once. And it was very, very overwhelming. I felt this, pressure pull off of me kind of like I want to say when you take a rubber band and you hold it and then you let it go and it shoots I think I did that wrong anyways um kind of like that it's just snapping away from me and there was that little recoil um the worker downstairs who was doing the construction work I really didn't talk to him much he's got a job to do I'm not getting in his way Uh, He was downstairs. He immediately started yelling for me. Hey, come here. I need to talk to you right now. Like aggressive. And he just was adamant about it. I didn't go downstairs and I was still trying to process in my brain what was going on. And I said, I cannot talk to you. You got to go back to work. And I, I generally do not talk to people like that. I don't like being rude. It's not nice. But I was And he was pissed. He's like, no, I said, I need to talk to you. You need to come to me now. And I kept telling him, no, back off. 
And it was weird because this guy does not act like that. He's not aggressive. He's not an angry individual. He's a little rough around the edges, but that's okay. But yeah, no, he was straight up aggressive, demanding I come to him. And I told him, no, I'm not. I need a minute. Go do, go get back to work. I'll talk to you in a minute. And again, I, I hate talking like that. But so then I kind of got hit with the wave of emotions. I sent JJ a message. Man, I've been an asshole. And then I think I said, I need a minute. And I went to the bathroom and got in the shower and I cried for about two hours, if not longer. I was trying to process having anger, hatred, wanting to kill myself, wanting, hating myself, hating the world, hating everything that ever existed because it just did to that being gone. And this is the hardest part of this conversation. I have lived my entire life like this, in this dark place, in this bad place, the majority of it. And now it is gone. And in a way, it was a safety net for me. And it's gone. It's all gone. And there was nothing, nothing in there. And then I cried a little more. And then I got warm and fuzzy and happy. And I can't tell you the last time before that, that I had just gotten a happy feeling without forcing it to happen. And I was just happy. Like if you're drowning and you finally get that gulp of air, it was an incredible relief. It is. I don't have the words for it. I really don't. I'm trying really hard, but I don't have them. It was just something else. And then, yeah, this just, man, flooded with light and happiness. And that was it. It took me a couple days to process that. To not be afraid anymore. That 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 took some work, but it wasn't... It wasn't as hard as I thought it'd be. I thought it was going to be a lot harder to not be afraid of everything. Turns out it's not that hard. I just needed someone to kick me in the ass. And yeah, now, now comes the fun part and the crazy part. I have to learn to live my life in a completely different manner than I've known. I'm happy. I wake up with a smile on my face. I think about my family. I absolutely love the little things I get to see my family do. And, you know, hopefully I can repair the damage I've caused. I don't know. But that's okay if I don't know if I can fix it. Because I have the ability to know however it works out, it's all going to be okay. And as long as I try and do the right things, it'll work out the way it's supposed to. It's okay. Yep. And on a side note, because of all that I went through with JJ, I have now entered probably the hardest times of my life 
of all the garbage that I did to myself and went through, none of it has been as hard as these last handful of months. And I can honestly say I would no, I don't think I'd survive it if I wasn't fixed. I don't think I would have. It's it's been insanely hard for me. And that's okay. I'm okay with it being hard. That's great. Because I can, it'll work out. Like I have hope. I think that's the biggest thing is I have hope. Yeah. It's amazing, man. It's absolutely mind blowing. And I, I'm I think I'm kind of repeating myself. I'm just trying to figure out how to how to tell you how I am now compared to how I used to be. And it was just a switch, like turning off a faucet. And that's still hard to wrap my head around that. That's even possible with a person Like you can just turn it off. You just fix it. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled for you. Um, I am, I am beyond happy for you that you've, you found this way out and I'm glad you're faced with the hardships of learning how to live life without that. Uh, I I think (laughs) as, as weird as that sounds, it's a much better spot to be in than, than where you were. And, and I think what we, we talked about this before we started recording, um, I had some trepidation about talking to you um, because I had been, I had been told that your, your story was, was powerful um, and that eventually it needed to be told. But at the time that time was not right. Um, And, and there were I believe some safety concerns for, uh, for myself. Yes. And, and, you know, I'm, I've been around the block enough times now that when people tell me things, I listen, I weigh them out. And much like the intuition that I told you, uh, that has guided me very well through life. Um, I pay attention to that gut and, and it told me, don't, don't push this one. Wait at some point, it's going to come back around. And if it doesn't, uh, my, my prayers are with the guy, but I'm, I'm okay with it if it doesn't. Um, and it did, but I, you know, like I told you, I said, before we started recording, I expected a completely look, a completely different looking demeanor uh, on your face, and uh, you know, I mean, JJ told me enough to without without giving any of your information away without. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the um, she didn't expose any confidentiality Uh, you know she didn't she didn't give me anything that you would not have wanted her to tell me Um, but it was enough to make me like okay I'm I'm good with waiting Um, because I don't know if you've listened to one of my most recent episodes um, 
my short term uh, um, partner that kind of leapt onto me. Oh yeah, um, man, I did. I was, I, well, to be honest, I, I was. Wait, when you say uh, Archbishop Blake walks up, I was, I was rooting, man. I was like, all right, get him. <laughs> Like I, I kind of I saw where it was going and what was going on. Yeah. And I was just very excited. And I'm also very sad for you, man. I'm sorry you had to go through that. It sucks. Um Yeah, okay. It it sucked. It it was it was bad. Um that that was a that was a heavy emotional thing. Um it scared the piss out of me because I was afraid that uh, you know, with, with my kids being there and, um, you know, the, the idea of this thing possibly be generational, uh, you know, was it looking to spread to my, my lineage, my lineage, you know, uh, I just, in, in the, sh- in the sheer incredibly short span of time that all this took place in, um, there was a, there were a lot of things going through my head that had I not been as uh, steeped in these types of things as I have been for most of my life, I don't know that I would have, I don't know that I would have recognized what was going on. Yeah, no, probably not. Now, something I did realize from that was that those feelings you had in the beginning Mm -hmm. for Christina came in, just rock things. Um, That girl, that's what she's going through every day. Mm. That's what I was going through every day. Exactly what I was thinking about as you were telling your story. And uh, I, again, I'm, it sucks, but I believe that spirit likes to give us lessons. Um, everything that has happened to me up until this point has been a lesson that I can either learn from or help someone through my drug addiction. I, I don't talk about it. I'm not a big, you know, however many years sober kind of guy. I, I don't do that. But what I can do with it is when I get up, when I get my patients that are detoxing or in going through withdrawals or right in the middle of them, bad trip. I've been there. I know what they're going through. Not because I read it in a book or I've seen it 20 times because I know the exact feelings they have. And if I can use that to get, help them through it, even just by existing and being next to them while they do and say, Hey, I get it, man. Yeah. It matters. And as much as it sucks for you to have that happen to you, I don't know if you could understand or connect the same way that if you didn't. Right. And again, I don't, I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want that to happen to anyone. It sucks. But now you know what we went through, what there's people going through right now, these things, and they have nowhere to talk to you. They have no one that understands not only what they're going through, but that you can fix it. You can get through it. There are people out there that will help you. And all you got to do is be brave enough to take that step. 
Absolutely. whether it's call suicide hotline and just talk to a human, whether it's to tell horrendously bad things at Thanksgiving dinner and just let mm-hmm. it out and terrify your family, uh, whether it's contacting somebody wonderful like JJ, any of those things, there. The, if you ask for it, just ask God, Spirit, Muhammad, whoever you want. You pick a Buddha. It's all Give the same. Yeah, it's all the same guy. And that's, that's a conversation for another day. But just ask whoever you got to ask. Hey, man, give me a sign. Give me that person in front of me. And they will. They'll show up. I had to show up multiple times. I don't. And even with all this happiness and this joy and this wonderful feelings, there's always a little bit of doubt. Why do I deserve this? I'm not special. I don't think I am. I'm just another guy trying to get by. You got a mortgage payment, car payments, man. But even those people who have those thoughts, turns out we're wrong. We are special. And I'm not saying it just because you're gifted or you have this or, you know, you, whatever reason, everybody matters. Every everybody matters. Us. We all have value. There's somebody who loves every one of us. Even if you feel you're alone, there's somebody there. There's somebody that, that cares for you. Somebody yeah. who's going to miss you when you're gone. You're, you impact people's lives. And it's, and for us, the people that were going through the dark times, sometimes, and I need to get this point across to those people, you hear these things. I've We have just said this, and you have just heard it. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you. Whoever it is that is listening to this thinking I'm talking about somebody else, you are wrong. I am talking about you. You are the one that needs help, and we will help you. Just reach out. That easy. Yeah. You have Sorry, to be I got ready. A, you have got to a little preachy there for a minute. Yeah. Well, you're living proof. You you have to be ready. If you're yeah. not ready. Oh, I don't I don't think I was ready to begin with. I think spirit's like, you're ready. Spirit knows. It knows when you're ready. Sometimes you don't feel it. There were yeah. times I didn't feel like I deserved it, but they're like, No, you do. You're getting it now. But yeah, man. Wow, that was a wild ride. <laughs> well, you did great. Uh your you. your your fears uh your fears were unfounded. You did very well. Um, I, I, I'm telling you, I, I really appreciate you uh, coming on here. It was a, uh, it's powerful, and <clears throat> there, there's, there's, I can guarantee you, there's more than just one person out there who needs to hear this. There is, there absolutely is, and I'm. It's going to sound a little rough. Um, I've learned in my career that I cannot save everybody. I actually save very few. We lose most of them. We do. But there's always one. And if it's just one, great. I'm good. If it's more than one, it's 100, that's that's unfathomable, man. I couldn't imagine how great that would be. As long as the one person that needs to hear it hears it, I'm good. 
Well, if you're out there and you need help, suicide hotline, crisis, the crisis lifeline. Um, I'm not quite sure when they did this. They they changed from being a a full length number to a three digit nine eight eight. Staffed twenty four hours, seven days a week. English, Spanish. Um, it is there is somebody there to help. And if it's not there, then reach out to a friend. Reach out to somebody you don't even know. Reach out to me. Reach out to Jason. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Somebody will talk to you. There are people that care, and there's no need to go through it alone. And it's so much better on the other side, man. Like it's... I've been struggling this whole time to put words to how I feel. It's it's amazing. It's incredible. Yeah, that's that's the best news. That's <laughs> the best news you could help, uh, hope to ask for. Um, I'm very happy for you, and I hope uh, I hope your family sees the difference. I hope they appreciate you for for being this new version of you and and help you continue to navigate living without the without the shit hanging over your shoulders yeah it's like i said this is it's a rough time and it's going to continue to be a rough time till we get through some stuff but that's okay i'm cool with it now and i used to say that and on the inside i did not feel that i did not say that Inside was horrid. I feel that just as whatever I'm saying now is the honest truth of how I feel inside. And not having a dual personality like that is a gift in itself. Because I can tell you how I honestly feel. That gets me in a lot of trouble sometimes. (laughs) But it's so much better. Having to to play both sides of the cards for that many years had to be absolutely exhausting on your 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 mental man you almost just become it you become that two people two wildly different people that some people never know um that's just well it's just like training if you train it long enough it becomes muscle memory and now for the first time i'm doing it for real so thankfully i've trained for it for enough to be able to just fall into it but it's it's okay, yeah. And I, I'm still trying to figure things out. Like I said, the, <laughs> speaking how I feel, I've got to learn. Sometimes it just shouldn't. You just need to not say that, no matter how good of an idea you think it is. Don't don't let everything come out of your mouth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then people used to joke that my ADHD would just fall out of my mouth. They're like, "Can you do us a favor and keep that up in there? We don't, <laughs> we don't need all of it." But it has been great, and I, I didn't talk about it, and I completely missed it. But part of this, part of the healing, was that my connection with spirit, my reawakening, because I shut myself off. The reawakening, I'm so much more open. I see so much more. Um, 
good Lord, if I told you about every paranormal experience, it's a daily thing at this point. And I'm used to it. It's cool. You know, it's just neat stuff to see and to learn and watch. But there's just so much more that I was missing because it didn't want that. If I had opened up like that, that would have been the end of it because the light would have come in. It would have, you know, blown it out. It would have gotten fixed faster. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's make a deal. Let's uh, let's do this again, and we can go into uh, a bunch of the paranormal experiences that you've had. Tell you about my possessed ice maker. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for helping me do this. This this has been a trial in itself just to get to this point. Don't let this cool complexion fool you. This is hard. I don't know how you do it. I'd rather take a house fire any day of the week. Oh, Lord. <laughs> it's, no. This is terrifying, man. I'm scared. No, you did You did fine. You did You did very well. It did not show. Right. So, Jason, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Again, Anybody out there listening, if you're in dire straits, if you need help, get a hold of somebody. Suicide Prevention Hotline, 988. It's three simple numbers. There's somebody on the other end of the phone that'll talk to you. Reach out to somebody. We're, we're here for you, man. Whoever you are, we're here for you. We got through it. I got through it. We can get you through it, too. This could be your sign. This could All be right. your son. <laughs> Jason, good night. Good night, sir. Have a Thank good you. one. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.